What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode three of the new season of Bottom Sprocket. And we here in Austin are chilling in nice comfy chairs because we're using a completely different camera <laughs> setup today that uh, is allowing us to be a lot more comfortable. And we've got Josh over in Colorado doing his thing with a bunch of puppers in the background uh, and the internet loves dogs. So surely that will help us uh, shoot just right to the moon when it comes Perfect. to uh, popularity and podcasts. Although if you're only listening, which by the way, you can find the podcast on basically any podcasting software or service out there, uh, you won't see them. So maybe you should check it out on YouTube. And again, that channel is Bottom Sprocket, just the name, search it up. And if you're watching on YouTube, it would be a huge help if you could toss us a subscribe. That's going to help us get access to a whole bunch of tools on the back end of YouTube. We're on the march to a thousand subscribers. That's really when we start getting access to all those fun toys that'll help us continue to grow. So if you are watching on YouTube, do us a favor, click that subscribe button and uh, enjoy the rest of this video, which by the way, what are we talking about today? Let's kick it over to Josh. What do you, what do you got for us today? We're trying to keep motorcyclists alive. That's what I think we're gonna work on today. Too many people are dying on two wheels. It's crazy. And um, we're, not, we're not the end all be all knowledge deities on how to stay safe on motorcycles, but if there's anything we can impart on beginner riders to help them not die, it's worth doing. I mean, we do have a combined few years on bikes. I'm scared to ask how, how, many, are, how many are dying, Josh? <laughs> Too many, yeah. The, the percentages for it are just sad, you know? Motorcyclists make up like 3% of registered vehicles, but account for 14, almost 15% of all fatalities on the road. Damn. So the, the rate is just not good. And it feels like every time someone walks up to you and is like, hey, nice motorcycle, the next thing out of their mouth is talking about, I had a friend who had a terrible accident when I lived in this city and decided to quit riding. And you just stand there and you're like, cool, thank you for sharing. Um, or you talk to anybody who's been riding for 20 plus years and they've been on rides with buddies who they've lost. And it's sad, it's tragic. And motorcycles are a good thing, and we should we should have more focus on not dying on them. <laughs> I wonder what they're like in other countries. Is it America where you get your Jixer Thou and the second you get your license and then? So I do generally believe that there's more respect for motorcycles in other oh, countries. Hundred percent. Because here in the states, and if anybody's watching from across the pond or you know in a country that's not America, which there are many. It, believe it or not, uh, the thing that I find is that because they have to go through more rigorous licensing restrictions, they end up having a lot more respect for the machine and they don't immediately go out and get a leader bike. You see a lot of guys in Europe who end up on like the Duke 890 as their finisher because they started on a 125, which has like 17 horsepower. And then they get to go up to A2 with 47 horsepower, I think is the exact number, 47.3 or something like that. And then after a couple of years on that, they get to get whatever motorcycle they want. 
So they have to go through these years of getting more experience on two wheels. Yeah, I think we've got a calendar for one of my Discord members, Minaru, who's waiting to buy a XSR 900 in France. And uh -huh. he's got like three more years left. And I'm like, man, Jeez. I'm ready to sing the national anthem at this point because it's a fun bike. But I get it. I, I get it. That, I mean, every, my whole life would be completely different if, if I had to go through <laughs> Because you literally started on an XSR 900. Dude, I, there's a good place to eat popcorn off of 35 northbound right in front of right now on a BMW demo day because I saw just a nice little sweetie guy on an S1000 double R. And if you, when you leave that dealership, you're going straight onto like a 65 mile an hour frontage road. And it's just a shit show. So there is no time to collect your thoughts. <laughs> There's no time to look down and see where buttons are. And I like slowed down on the highway just to watch this guy. I was like praying for him. I'm like, oh God, please. But you can tell this girl on demo ride. Mm -hmm. And every demo ride I've been on in Austin is right off of 35. Like the Indian dealership, the Harley Davidson dealership <laughs> ride now. Mm -hmm. um, you're like smack, boom, here's a hundred miles an hour and a butt ton of traffic and nobody's, everybody's on their phone. So like, good luck. And you're like <laughs> looking for how to get it out of uh, butt fuck mode on your bike. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, that probably scares away a good amount of potential buyers. Oh, you're for like, sure. never mind. I don't want that. I don't want to open it up. Give me something else. You know, it's interesting talking about demo rides. I'd, I'd actually be interested to hear what the G-Force policy is on something like this, if you can share it with us. A lot of dealerships won't do test rides on certain bikes because yeah. their insurance can't cover it. So when I went to the Triumph demo day at Ride Now, I wanted to get on a street triple, not the speed triple, not the big one, the street triple, the 765. Their insurance would not cover me taking they a test ride. And you're like, oh man. And I was like, guys, I'm, I'm working on a project here. I've done the Tiger, I've done the Speedmaster, let me do this, the speed triple or the street triple, and that's that's all I need, but their insurance wouldn't cover it. So uh, they're just like, no, you cannot test ride a leader bike. Damn it. How is it at G-Force? Yeah, it's, it's all up to how bad we wanna make the deal happen. <laughs> like there's no bike that you can't test ride. I mean, there's bikes that we have like, we have ZH2, the RC8C, they're up on podiums, like pedestals. We're not gonna pull that down so you can go ride it or turn it on so you can mile it up. But almost any other bike, anything on the Indian showroom, you know, like the fact they won't let you ride a street triple, but we let people take FTRs out all the time. Um, yeah, we try and not do them, you know, it's more about availability of people. Usually we try and not do it on Saturdays. It takes a lot of time for a salesperson they have to be really tied up to either go with that person, especially if they're a beginner rider, like if we're doing a Ninja 400 test ride or something, we're gonna have someone go with them. Um, but a lot of times, like especially in the Indian showroom, it's like, hey, you're, you've been riding, you're trading in a bike, trying to look at another bike, here's the keys, be back in 15 minutes. Um, and we'll let people do what they want to. I've never heard of insurance not covering a, a motorcycle. I have heard of salesmen just um, giving some bullshit excuse though. Because I was just about to ask, do you think they're just like, eh, 
they're just telling you that? Or do you actually feel like their insurance isn't going to cover it? I mean, it might have been a line because I had a camera and yeah, like, I was like, doing a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so I, it's possible that because I was sitting there getting ready to go film some stuff, they were like, oh, he's about to go do wheelies on our bike, oh, blah, blah, okay. blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will also say, I think it comes down to the dealership atmosphere, too. Like, do you guys have a bunch of demo bikes specifically set up as demos or do you just like have a bike that, okay, I want to ride an R7. This is the bike that I'm looking to buy. They ride the bike they're looking to buy. Uh, again, it's all going to depend on the deal. Um, yeah, if the salesman is really motivated, then they'll put them on that exact bike. They'll go put gas in it, check the tires and put them on that bike, even if we built it that day. Some manufacturers, though, allow a, a demo allotment where we get assistance on like, you know, because before we sell it after a certain period, usually 90 days, we pay flooring on a, a machine. So like we're paying interest on that until it sells. Uh, right. And so a lot of them will allow us to put certain models in a demo fleet, like one of each model we can put in a demo fleet and then we won't pay flooring on them. We're supposed to keep it through the whole season. And that's the one that we put miles on. And that's the one we let people test ride. Um, a lot of the time though, the demo models just end up being the one that the employees ride all the time. <laughs> like right. we have demo snowmobiles that we'll take out. We have demo motorcycles that are like, yeah, this is definitely the one we can jump on because we need to put a certain amount of miles on them. And sometimes even if we don't, if we don't get enough test rides, we'll be, uh, we won't get that, that demo credit as well. So sometimes it's like, hey, go, go ride the bike. It needs to be ridden. Interesting. Because I know AF1, they have... They have a demo Tuareg. They have a demo, I'm pretty sure they have an RSV4. Mm -hmm. Like the one that you rode, was that a, or you did the Tuono V4. That was, was that, demo. that was their demo. I think they have the RSV4. They definitely have the 660 and the Tuono. They have a V7. I think they have a Mandelo and a V85. Like they have a, for whatever they're selling, they have demos for, except for the scoots. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure all of their scooters, they're just like, you know what a scooter is. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little dirt mobile. Go have, you're, yeah. you're gonna buy it and go have fun. Um, so they're they're pretty lax about their demo rides too. I'm pretty sure that I just, I, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, if you wanna demo the bike, they just give you the keys and they're like, come back in 20 minutes or whatever, um, which is really, really lax. And I think that that comes down to the respect that a brand may command, the kind of people who are coming to ride it People who are coming to ride Aprilia's are very different than those looking to ride Chixers and stuff. And I think that gets down to not necessarily that some brands are safer, per se. They just attract a different... Dude, I, you know what kind of people showed up on in full leathers renting my XSR 900 and I give over the keys like this? <laughs> just a bunch of fucking oh, squids. Oh, God, Why? <laughs> you can look at the person on my security camera uh -huh. who showed up and pick which bike they were renting. Yep. It was so obvious. Like the, the old bald dude is coming for the BMW and you know it's going to be fine and it's going to come back in one Never piece. Never worried about it. Yeah. Smart peelings, cheap, you know, cheap first timers or whatever. They want to buy one. And then XSR was like, oh, God, <laughs> this is coming off of Twisted Road so fast. <laughs> yeah. It comes down to the bike a lot too. Like in our rental fleet, we had our MT09SP wrecked twice. 
Whoa. <laughs> like, people cannot ride. It's crazy. Damn. Um, so, like, and it's a huge headache. You as a, a renter, like, understand. But even for a dealership, if something happens to a brand new bike on a test ride, that is hours and hours and hours and weeks of headache that you're going to be dealing with until you can sell that bike. Whereas if you just told this guy no, it might move tomorrow. Um, yeah, that that's that that would be. I can't imagine how terrible that would be. Uh, I actually have a kind of a fun story. I was I forget what I was doing. I was goofing around at AF1 for something. I can't. Now, maybe it was You've just been there in there a thousand times now, so I'm sure it's hard yeah. to remember. I, I was there for something, talking with the guys, and uh, I get on a bike. I forget which one, and I'm going. You know how there's the in Texas we have those u-turns under every overpass and if you're coming down the uh if you're coming down 35 south the frontage road there's that u-turn at runberg that goes back up to parmer and that's usually how i'd leave the dealership and i was following a guy on a super duke who had just left tj's oh fuck yeah and he was going you around. Just followed him for your video. You're like, you know what? We're doing so something else. So I had a GoPro going. <laughs> I wish I was recording at the time because he's going down this thing, goes through the U-turn, gets on the gas just a little bit and low sides right in front of me. Oh my God. And the bike just goes skidding around down the alley. Have your you had a GoPro on, on but not rolling. Oh, dude, you gotta be locked up in one of those like guillotine style things for fucking three like, hours. Oh come that. on, dude. dude Why you, wasn't I rolling? This guy low sides a super duke right in front of me. And it turns out Did he just buy it or was it a demo? No, he was the mechanic. It was a customer <laughs> bike that he accidentally low sided on the road. Oh, Shut the geez. fuck up! Yeah, he like he was. He just left the dealership. He was oh taking it on a test ride, and he low sides this customer like, right in front of me. Uh, and I, I was like, "How did that happen?" Uh, oh god! Oh god! I'd be so pissed. <laughs> I think it was just cold tires, man. Cold tires and a lot of torque, and the bike just yeeted out from under him. It was an early model Super Duke, so it didn't have the like super intense. So they just gotta pay for it for to fix it. Yeah. Oh, God. I wouldn't oh, yeah. want it back. They'll fuck you. Give me a new one. <laughs> He's got a got a long day ahead of him repairing that type of stuff. And the biggest thing now is like parts are not available. Like you broke a blinker and you need a blinker, and it is not showing up for a few weeks. We had a, a ZX10 that. We lost a key for and oh God. Like lost both the keys for. I don't know. Oh, oh no. So you lost the key code and you have to get the whole bike rekeyed, right? All the cylinders across the whole bike, seat, tank. You're familiar with this process. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it sat in our shop for like eight months. Eight, months. eight oh, nine oh, months. Oh, oh. Brand new bike. Someone ordered it. We don't have ZX10s on the floor. They don't, they don't <laughs> sit. No, they're gone. People are waiting for them. <laughs> Months and oh, months no. back forth and like, yeah, that's that absolute awful dealership nightmare that that you hope to never be a part of. But like, yeah, that stuff, it happens so much in power sports. You have no idea. How do you lose the key? I mean, don't you have like a system for that? This key goes on this hook. Not my department. Not my department. <laughs> 
Josh knows the whole story. He just, he just won't. He was just sitting there. He was just sitting there in his office up above the Indian dealership, just laughing at this poor guy who lost both the keys to this. So I'm logging into Yelp and Google and reading the review they left, and I'm like, "Well, I can't blame you. (laughs) I would feel the exact same way." That would be a funny response on the Google page. Be like, "Yeah, dude, I get it. (laughs) Sorry." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but um. Back to keeping people from not dying, you know? Yeah, we've wandered pretty far afield <laughs> here already. I didn't know that that was a treasure trove for us. There's all sorts of good stories in there. <sighs> but I think it, there's, there's bad information out there. We've come across it in our higher level of attainment of education in writing, um, much like the champ school principles that conf- conflict with what we learn in MSF. And even more so than this, the thing that concerns me so much is if you go into any street squids comment sections, especially on TikTok or Instagram, where they're carving up roads and they, yeah, they're riding fine. They're not riding like at a racer's pace or anything like that, but they're riding very aggressively and quickly. And the comments and the, the feedback when someone will be like, oh, this is so good. I want to get better. How do you do that? And then there's 30 replies of, of just miserable information like, oh, you slow down and then you hold neutral throttle through the turn and don't don't touch the front brake and don't, don't accelerate. Don't even get me started. There, there's a, a, a prominent, prominent moto vlogger who is just just spattering bad corner information. And after going to uh, Yamaha Champ School, I'm learning like, Okay, these bikes are designed to be loaded mm-hmm. entering a corner and how much uh, they talk about like when you you see it in MotoGP all the time if it's not loaded enough goodbye like yep. see you later and and they're preaching the no break thing I'm like what what mm-hmm. do you just roll off the throttle I'm like I'm like oh god this is this is you could save lives by being like no the brake is there for that reason i mean what's the mantra from champ school load the tire before you work the tire yeah i can't believe that or they're braking coming out of a corner because they're going too fast and they Mm -hmm. don't they can't see what's coming it's just like it's just it's still the dark ages i think when it comes to canyon carving and just people carving up twisties in general I think a lot of that comes down to how expensive track access actually is. Yeah, that is true. Um, track access is, it's it's a rich person's thing now. Oh. It, 100%. If you don't have an extra couple of grand kicking around, you can kiss track days goodbye. Yeah. Um, they're just, they're way too expensive. Um, not And I'm not just talking about getting... Uh, getting your suit, getting this, that, and the other, just paying for the track day or the, the membership day. at the track, you know. Um, How much is ECR? Oh my God, I don't know. Like thousands. Mind. Thousands of dollars. I know people who share a garage and like try to split up their membership or whatever, but it's still like, well, that's a lot of money to commit every month. It's literally just an, it's power sports version of country clubs. Yeah. So like country clubs, you pay a fee up front to join the club. And then you have to pay a monthly membership fee. Mm-hmm. So let's say, you know, your golf place is like three grand up front and then it's $500 a month for as long as you want to keep it. 
I don't know what ECR is or some of the other track day, uh, tracks around here. All I know is that a single track day at Coda is like five or $600. It's 500 bucks. It used to be three, mm-hmm. which was a little bit more doable. And that's not counting. It, it is a full day. Mm-hmm. Nobody stays for the full day. I stay for the full day because you want to have Coda to yourself right. at that price point. But it's hot and you're you're tired and you're exhausted. But yeah, it's like, man, if more people had access to that, you know, because you can run what you run. It doesn't matter at Kona. Yeah. They're like, ride whatever you want. It's just got to have decent tires and your Make sure you're not going to spit oil everywhere. And that's all that matters. So it's like, that's really, you can bring any. And I saw all sorts of Sportsters and Vespas. I mean, people are riding anything. And just to have that experience is, and those teachers too. I mean, that's mm-hmm. invaluable. And I think that because tracks have become so unaccessible to normal street squids, they end up finding their roads that they end up being like, oh, what was your lap time down Lime Creek or whatever? And uh, there was a group that I used to be a part of here in Texas. I'll mention who they are, but they had rides specifically posted in their groups that were like, you cannot attend this ride unless you have a full suit. You cannot yeah, ride I've, this I've without a that. full suit. And what they were going to do, this was back before Destination Way got built up and all the houses are out there now. They would run up and down D-Way in their suits like it was a racetrack because it it's paved like a racetrack. I race was about track. to say it's paved. It's like fresh black tar. It's, it's super flawless. smooth. Yeah. It's, the pavement is yeah. flawless. Um, and they would post a guy at the top of, uh, at that turn Mm -hmm. where you go into D way and a guy would just sit there watching for cops. And if there was a cop coming, everybody would either like scatter or they would hide in some tree spot. (laughs) And, uh, that's the kind of behavior that track access would cure and that would save so many lives like that yeah you know yeah there's no question like we have the space we have plenty of capability in building roads <laughs> like we it's nothing like that we couldn't do it's not a priority though um for our society you know it's like it's nothing that people want to access and even sometimes in other places like not in austin but like here we have one big track high plains raceway and it's not too bad. It's a couple hundred bucks to go for the day, um, but it's sketchy. And a lot of track days end up being sketchy because it's all these people and they're like, look, I get one chance a year is what I can afford to go. And I'm gonna go and send it as hard as I can and try and be fast. Um, and it doesn't have the same like learning mentality. Uh, right. I don't know, Wh- where did you guys go when you were first starting? And you knew motorcycling was dangerous, but you probably sought out information that was like, how do I stay safe doing this? Um, there's good channels, but there's a lot of bad channels about it as well. Um, where did you guys look to? Friggin' twist of the wrist, which I found out now is like outdated information, mm-hmm. which I would not recommend that to anybody nowadays. I wish the Yamaha Champ School guys would come out with a, a DVD or uh, they've pay gated everything and that's for good reason because they want to pay their instructors a freaking living wage. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like 
Twist of the Wrist is still everybody's go-to because it's a book you can buy. Yeah. You know, and that's what it comes down to. It's like, oh, cool. I could spend $17 getting this fucking book and nerding out. Or the DVD, too, is like 20 bucks Still. Right. And it's been however many, 40 years since yep. they filmed it. So um, that was my go-to. I think for me, I just, I found uh, Zach and Ari really early on. Mm. And I was like, oh, these guys know what they're talking about, or at least they, Did they talk like they Did they go over writing techniques and stuff? So, Ari was always doing these, like, little videos uh, about, like, how do you rev match and stuff like that. And so, I learned to rev match and I learned to shift clutch lists from watching Ari's videos. Mm. Um, and so, that, that really helped. But then in terms of, like, how to break in a corner... Just, I just, just go into I just, the corners. <laughs> I just rode a motorcycle, you know? Yeah. Did you guys do the MSF before you ever rode on the road? No. I did the MSF, yeah. Right. Um, I think that the MSF is a good way to learn how to ride a motorcycle in a parking lot. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure even the MSF people will admit that. Yeah. You know, it's it's to get somebody who potentially has never ridden a motorcycle before on two wheels and be like, you are theoretically capable of operating this vehicle. That's just how our licensing system works, which is woefully under preparing people. It is people. strange, now that you mention it, that it's not more like getting your driver's license where you're like, okay, we're gonna go on a ride, I'm gonna watch you, I'm mm -hmm. gonna ride with you, we're gonna do that three times, and then you're gonna take the test. Yeah. That makes way more sense. It's just a weekend in a parking lot here, which I know is going to infuriate European watchers and listeners because you guys have to do it for years. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, information and where we get our, uh, how we learned and the MSF and all that stuff. And I think one of the things that I find very interesting is the point at which certain riders stop wanting to learn, because I, I remember very vividly, this memory is probably going to be burned into my brain forever. I was at Sturgis. You and I were doing Iron Mountain and we were going down. And you remember how many fucking Harleys were out there? Just like it was because it, it was, was like the it was height, <laughs> it was the height of the Sturgis rally. Yes. And we were going down Iron Mountain and we were going down those curly cues, remember? Yeah. yeah, I do. And there was this uh, pile of bikes that were just going really, really slow. And I was like, what the hell? God, the traffic out there is kind of ridiculous. It's insane. Because yeah. um, it's just a park road. It's just, you know, uh, two lanes, very narrow. But we were going around a corner and uh, I saw a bunch of you know, life juice on the ground. There was just blood all over the road. And there was a guy behind a sheet on the side of the road. Dude, there's no cell service out there. And there's no cell oh. service. There, there, there were a bunch of people trying to like, keep this guy in one piece and well, you know he- a dude, I'm driving down the road. He's coming out of the parking lot, suddenly sees me. And then I go, and then he just goes over. I think you were behind me and he fell into the, uh, ravine. Whoopsie doodle. I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> you got a break. You could just stop, you know, but yeah. he just went right over and I was like, oh, whatever. I think that it, 
it's going to sound like we're about to make fun of a lot of Harley people here, but there is a pervasive lack of, or not, perhaps not lack, but a lack of willingness to admit that they're still learning stuff about riding. They're like, I've been you riding never forever. Stop. Mm -hmm. You never, you should never stop. Right. It's like, especially if it's not like, Oh, I've, I've traveled the world. I've ridden 700,000 miles. Like, okay, I'm going to listen to that guy more. But it's like, none of us have done that. It's like, we're riding the same roads. That was a big thing I learned too. I'm like, oh, I keep riding the same roads over mm -hmm. and over and over again for years. I'm not getting any better. Mm -hmm. You're just doing the same thing. You just know how to navigate that road and where the problem areas are, but you don't know what, how to react to a problem area on the next road. No idea. Yeah, exactly. Someone figures out how to do what they want to do. I can get on the bike. I can go the place I want to go. I don't want to go faster. You know, you see like the safety thing when people have this urge to go faster a lot, then it's like, okay, how do I go faster? How do I be safer? How do I have more control? But especially in like uh, uh, touring and cruiser riding, bar hopping kind of thing, it's just like, no, I can get on the bike and I can go down the road. And I have all the skills I need to do that. But you don't end up developing the skills for that one moment when you've got to save your own life, you know, and then you blame, blame a driver. We all know it's dangerous. We all know what happens if we hit a car. So it's, it's on us to, to be able to ride like we're invisible and not get in an accident. I've never understood people who are like, this guy cut me off or he merged into my lane. And I'm like, have you ever been on a bike before? <laughs> yeah. People right? merging into my lane is like the thing. That's, mm -hmm. that's what happens and, it, and it's dangerous and it sucks. But it's like, yeah. I, I also love how the standard response to that is pulling the clutch and rev. Yeah. Like, they didn't what, see you. Yeah. They're not going to hear you either. Have you ever not seen a motorcyclist while you were in a car? Uh, I've definitely had some moments where a motorcyclist spooked me. I and I look yesterday. for bikes. Yes. Yesterday, this dude was like going all over. But I didn't see him mm -hmm. because he's doing 100. <laughs> In a 60, mm -hmm. but it's like, that's, that's just part of it. Yeah. 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 Stop rev bombing. My gosh. Like you're literally pulling your hand away from your brake. Like yeah. in order to rev bomb, you're pulling your fingers further away from the one thing that can make you stop. That's so <laughs> dumb. <laughs> also, if you want like sound is directional. Mm -hmm. So if you want to alert somebody in front of you, perhaps purchase a better horn. Yeah, it's why the horn's not on your right side either. Your right hand needs to just stop the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think this gives us a good uh, moment to segue into some of our tips for how we stay safe out there. We've been talking a little bit, obviously horn, don't rev bomb. But uh, what do you guys have in terms of like, this is my usual go-to for not getting splattered. Josh? Yeah, before tips, I have to accredit Champ School. They, uh, like nothing I know is stuff I figured out. Champ School has taught me how to be a competent and safe rider. And I get it, it's, it's expensive and it's not accessible, especially the two-day course. It's really difficult and they're, it's, it's an incredible school. But I've done Champ U, I've done Champ Street, I've done Champ School. And because of that, I, everything I espouse is stuff I learned from them. Um, so Champ U, you can get for 50 bucks and you can get a coupon code and get it even cheaper than that. Um, 
And that has the good information, the stuff that, that I believe makes me safe. And the first thing is the mantra. Like that is something I still do if I can remember every single time I get on the motorcycle. And that's, uh, you know, like when Valentino Rossi gets down next to his motorcycle and like says a little prayer or whatever he's doing there, but it's checking in. It's like every time I get on my motorcycle, it's not a casual affair. It, it's nothing I can do without noticing. It's like, no, no, I have to remind myself that I'm about to get on a motorcycle and it's gonna be dangerous, uh, especially the way I ride, and I have to be focused. Um, that's, that's one of the biggest things for me. The second thing is just mastering your brakes, like getting so good on your brake. Um, and I don't think people are used to that. Practicing emergency braking in itself is not the same as being competent, e applying brake at any point that you need to, whether I'm deep in a corner, whether I'm, you know, on gravel and I need to apply brake, whatever it is, like getting so good and comfortable with being able to, to stop the motorcycle and turn the motorcycle. Yeah, I, braking is one of the things that, like I'd say more so than anything else in champ school, they teach you how to master the brake. They focus more on braking than accelerating. Mm -hmm. They focus more on on braking than turning. It's like- Accelerating's the easy part. Yeah, it's just this. <laughs> yeah. You just make the bike, you, you, you go to the outside of the track and you go like this. But it's the braking, how, how you do hard braking on a track and you can do that anywhere because the physics are the exact same on the street versus on the track mm -hmm. so you can stop a motorcycle especially on a bike like the grizo or my ducati or that anything that has like those big dual discs up front those bikes stop on a dime it doesn't matter how heavy they are you can stop them so fast. I, I remember, this is just bad information, harking back to that, but uh, a woman was saying, I ride down this steep hill every day and it freaks me out. It's off of 22, 22. There's like that crazy steep yes, hill. Yeah. She's like, it scares me so much. I don't know what to do. And somebody's like, don't ride your brakes because they'll overheat and they'll melt or whatever. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, you guys have no idea how much we don't, even with dirt bikes too, Josh, and I'm sure you get this a lot at G-Force, you can hammer on a bike. You can beat it up. Oh, you can like, they're so much more resilient than we think that they are. You know, you can ride down a... <laughs> Did somebody really say that yes. your brakes yes. are going to overheat yes. going down 22, 22? <laughs> don't break going downhill. You don't. <laughs> oh, God. I just want to be like, wow. Uh, huh, that's weird. What do you think the holes in the brake are for? Please don't listen to him. For the love of God, that's we're scared of it. There's something too kind of pervasive about being afraid of breaks. Mm -hmm. The thing that saves your life. It makes sense. Don't stab them. That's the biggest thing. Don't stab them. Yep. You, you never stab your brakes. In the car, I noticed, I noticed yesterday I came to a quick stop and I was like, wow, I don't have the same faculties to stop a car the way I can stop a bike. Because right. like, I just mashed it. I just went straight to the pedal <laughs> and just like, just and it was a very abrupt, and if it was on a bike, you know, could have locked up. But like on a bike, like I have the muscle memory to make sure that first 5% is like soup is slow and felt and gentle before like I really start putting on pressure. And I don't have that in a car. I don't yeah. think most people have that on a bike. 
but just that discipline so that the first time that you make contact with that break and start to apply pressure to it, making sure that that's intentional and that you're in control of that, that, that will open you up to breaking at so many different times. Uh, and it makes you so much of a safer rider to do that. I will say, I think because of how much I've practiced, because I, I have just practiced doing that kind of braking. If I'm on a group ride and I'm leading, I will tend to go into a corner a little hotter than I might otherwise, because I'm just like, I, I know how to brake. I can just, I can stop this motorcycle. I know I can do it. Um, and you're not afraid of using your brakes in a corner. But I do notice some people will follow me oh, into yeah. that corner and not brake like I brake. And it's not like I'm the best in the world at this. I just spend time doing it. And other people are just like, okay, I'm following the leader. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that, you've got you've to realize that, especially in a group ride, people are coming from all different skill levels. And so you just have to ride your own ride. And if you're leading a group ride, you have to little, you have to, you just have to dial it yeah, back. Don't be like the Billy Bob guy that we had out in St. George, Utah, because that dude was out of control. He sent he was it. out of control. He sent it so hard. And I was trying to keep up with him and I was going 90 down a gravel dude, road. I remember pulling up to Josh and like, man, Josh, this is beautiful. And Josh's like, I haven't seen anything. <laughs> Because you guys could, you guys were just, we had to pass that semi doing 110. I'm like, this is dumb. Like, why? Mm -hmm. There's eight of us. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Oh. That's like, that's adventure riding. Because it's like, look, I don't want to be on the road. I'm trying to get to the trail. Let's just do a buck 20 to get to the trail and then we can have our fun. I, I think people's mentality is off a lot of time. People don't have the, the attention and focus to ride safely. Um, I think I, I learned a lot from Dan Dan the Fireman's content when I was first looking about riding and being safe is everyone around me was so concerned about my safety when I wanted to get onto a motorcycle. So I really wanted to like make an effort to be a safe rider. Um, and he is so good at, at, at explaining the thoughts that should be going through your head um, at any given point on the road, as far as like, if I go up to an intersection, I want to be anticipating anything that could happen at that intersection, whether someone runs the light, whether, you know, completely legal or not legal moves that someone might make into my path of travel. Like I want to anticipate all of them. If I'm going down a road and there's a turn and a car sitting there, like I need to make an actual change on the motorcycle before I pass those people, because I don't want to be left um, to just be a victim to get hit. So like, I always need a, a, an escape path. I always need to know it, how much risk I'm in. You know, if I'm just on a two lane road in the middle of nowhere, there's no one around, and then I'm in a pretty safe situation. But like recently I've been riding in traffic a lot on the interstate. And that is like, like stop and go traffic on the interstate is about as bad as it gets. I mean, you've got everyone changing lanes back and forth, trying to go quick. You've got people that are distracted in their cars that want to rear end you. It, I mean, there's so many things that could happen when you're in four lanes of traffic, all starting and stopping at different, different levels. 
but that's on it in residential neighborhoods. No matter where I'm riding, I don't want a threat to be able to materialize that I didn't anticipate. And that's how I, I think I keep myself safe, but it takes an incredible amount of focus. Like you get off the bike after a long time of doing that and you are exhausted um, because it's so much work to don't think about, like I listen to music, I have ADHD, so it helps me focus more if I have something else drowning out my thoughts kind of. Um, but like, if you aren't prepared to be like fully there, then I try and not get on the motorcycle. Like even when I'm really upset or something's going on or um, or I've been drinking or anything like that too, for sure. Uh, I will try very, very hard to avoid getting on a motorcycle because uh, I don't feel safe riding without that presence um, of my attention while I'm on the road. I think that comes down to respect for the, for the machine, you know, and coming full circle, that's just like, we talked at the beginning about how certain brands have a different kind of rider and some folks just have more respect for the bike. And uh, I think that alone is going to give you so much more. It's just, th this is a, this is a big hunk of steel that could just as easily throw you over and into a ditch. So you gotta, you gotta have a respect for the activity uh, and I think that's what the, the mantra is about from champ school is getting you focused and being like, all right, I'm getting into motorcycle mode. I have to be respectful for this machine. This is how I have to be in the headspace. And to start kind of wrapping up our thoughts here, I think the biggest thing that I've heard here is just go learn something you know just keep learning that's going to keep you the safest i think keep learning and ride like no one sees you yeah anybody also anybody who's turning left in front of you like from the opposing lane assume that you are absolutely camouflaged yep they're not gonna they're, they're not gonna see you they're I'm not gonna stop never gun it i never take that risk that is like one of the most common accidents and no one ever sees you because yep. they're paying attention to so many things that they're not going to see you. Mm -hmm. So there, those are my two, two bits. Yeah. yeah. I think if you're having close calls on the road, you're doing something wrong. Like I, there's been times in my riding where I do have close calls and someone stopped in front of me and I wasn't able to stop in time and I had to go around them and it was a close call or I, I lost traction in a corner and it was a close call. If you're having those close calls, you're doing something wrong and whether you need to back down or get more skills or pay more attention, like that's a, that's a big indicator that like you're, you're running the clock at mm -hmm. that point. And I think here, kind of final thought is we're not, we're absolutely not the arbiters of no, motorcycle safety. We've just been kind of giving you our opinions here. But we have been trained. We, we have gone through a lot of different schools and all that stuff. And it's been an absolute privilege to do it. So we are talking from a place of privilege where I've done all this stuff. Yeah, I've had private coaching off-road, Mm -hmm. on road schools i mean it's the same thing over and over you hear it every and, and none of us have had any big dumb wrecks no no like we're very we're very fortunate but like the 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 possibilities of getting three riders together that none have had a major accident um that that's a pretty good mark honestly like <laughs> congratulations guys <laughs> <laughs> little little pat on the back there to wrap Ooh. us up 
So if you guys have enjoyed it, you've made it to this point, again, I would ask you to, whatever service you're watching this on or listening to it on, go ahead and subscribe, follow, whatever. And if you are feeling extra helpful, go to youtube.com bottom sprocket uh, slash at bottom sprocket, whatever. Just go to YouTube, <laughs> search bottom sprocket and toss us a subscribe on the YouTube channel. It's really gonna help uh, seriously at a thousand subscribers and certain watch time metrics. We get access to more tools that will help us grow the channel. It'll help us uh, just get this more off the ground. Uh, obviously, I'm gonna be shouting it out on my channel and all that good stuff. But if we can get access to more of those tools on this channel, it will help us immensely. Please do us a favor. If you enjoyed what you heard or saw, subscribe to us on YouTube. It will be a huge help. And with that, I think we uh, wrap it up. Any final thoughts, y'all? Don't get me started on another tangent, Jake. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No more, no more tangents. This was good. This was helpful. I hope this helps somebody. Share us with a friend too. If you've got friends that are riding that don't have a lot of content in their life, uh, <laughs> like none of us, you know, have anything to watch nowadays. So uh, yeah, yeah. Share us with share us with other riders too. That'd be awesome. All right, and on that, we'll catch you guys in the next one. See you later.